Hello and welcome to Keanu Club. Like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 82. Bill and Ted face the music from 2020. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski and party on, dude. Party on, my man. So this is finally, I mean, we have not had a new Keanu Club. Actually, what was our last Keanu Club episode? We were just talking about our next Keanu Club episodes, which we're still not sure when that'll be. I guess Toy Story last year, almost a year oh, ago. right. I was thinking Always Be My Maybe. We had three since Always Be My Maybe. We did Always Be oh, My Maybe, wow. then Between Two Ferns, then John Wick, then Toy Story. Holy moly, where's, where have I been? On those shows. Editing those episodes, but, I guess. Yeah, I know. I keep thinking of the Middle Ditch and Reeves comedy duo of the uh, replicants, or replicant, right? Where replicas. They, replicas, where they clone his family. <laughs> yes, but man, we are not there anymore. We are well past that, thankfully, thankfully. And on to Bill and Ted Face the Music. I do want to shout out Cara Gayla Regan, our normal Bill and Ted correspondent, not able to join us tonight, but Cara, you are with us. I mean, I'm not, it sounds like she's dead. I'm not, I'm not trying to make it sound like she's dead, but yeah, I know we wish Cara was here, but she wasn't able to watch the movie, but we are here to talk about it because this is a big week because we are doing Bill and Ted things for this show, for your show, Third Time to Charm, and also for Brian's show, High School Slumber Party. We've got all Bill and Ted stuff planned this week, so it's a very exciting week to honor and commemorate this new movie. Yeah, it's really cool, because I think this is the first time ever that Third Time's a Charm is covering a weekend of release movie, so that was uh, pretty exciting. Ooh. And over on Brian, I'm on that episode on Brian's show, and it was fun to revisit the original movie, and we also delve into the sequel, because there still isn't a show on our network that talks about part twos anywhere along the line, so we just kind of refer to it, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it now. Well, I'll blame you for that, because you jumped all the way to three. I was actually thinking, before we get into Bill and Ted, because we got a lot to say about Bill and Ted, I was thinking be very cool if your show started with three and then just went to the end of the franchise because it's like okay because the conceit of your show and we'll talk about it, i'm sure a little bit in this episode is all right you have a franchise you have a, you have a movie you have a sequel you want to do a third how do you do a third right like that's ostensibly the, the whole premise of third times right yeah. like mm-hmm. how do you keep it new what do you what's what's the same what's different what do you bring back what do you start new like in this one, it could be, I don't think we're going to, but if we wanted to, we could have a whole new franchise with the daughters, right? Like there's a whole lot of things that could go on here. We'll get into that. But I think it would be cool for your show. And I mean, it's a different show altogether and you're, you're 30 episodes in, can't do it now. But if you had started with like three and then just been like, okay, we did Superman three, but now we're doing Superman four also. And then we're doing like Halloween three, but also Halloween all the way through. And just like, how do you keep going? Yeah, that's interesting. I actually had toyed with the idea of trying to turn the show just into the entire franchise in general at some point it's like okay like three will be sort of the kickstart of the conversation but ultimately the rest of the episode will go down the line and talk about every other movie and incorporate it ultimately that just became too much for one episode oh yeah you know what i'm saying and so then it would just be i feel like too many episodes altogether dwelling on maybe one franchise uh and it just wouldn't be as fresh i don't know but my mind just went to part three because of how crazy things tend to get when we get that yeah. far. And uh, things certainly go off the deep end in this one, in, in good ways, I think. But yeah, it gets crazy for sure. Well, Mike, if people have not seen Bill and Ted Face the Music, because it is kind of an expensive, it's a $20 rental, 25 to own, but, you know... I wanted to make sure we supported our boys, Keanu and Alex, and the whole team, Ed Solomon, all of them. Soderbergh. People have not seen this movie. Please give a, a plot summary of what this is about. Sure. So it's 25 years later. The Wild Stallions are falling on hard times. They have not written the song yet that 
saves the world. They're not getting any gigs, but they have seemed to have raised two very successfully functioning daughters, Billy and Thea. Bill and Ted go to couple therapy with their wives where they learn that they are not happy and they are, you know, they might just have to finally grow up. That is when they are visited from the future by Kelly, Rufus's daughter, who says that people in the future would like to have a word with them where they go face to face with the great leader played by Holland Taylor. Hey, Hank's Nection. Long time ago. They say that that song, the Save the World, not only will save the world, but there is a rift in the nexus of reality that must be sown, and this song will also fix that as well. So, extra pressure. The prophecy has sort of changed a little bit here. Or as the dad says, is that new? Yes, okay. Right, so the pressure's on, and instead of jamming and cramming for this new song, Bill and Ted decide to travel into the future to steal the song from themselves after they've already written it. In the meantime, their daughters realize that their parents need help, so they take a time machine into the past where they accumulate what can only be described as one of the most legendary bands in history, going through several time periods and accumulating key musicians throughout time to form the New Wild Stallions. Also on their tail, though, is a killer robot by the name of Dennis McCoy, who has been sicked on Bill and Ted by the great leader because possibly the prophecy may be foretelling that Bill and Ted must die. So Dennis is after them and accidentally kills Ted's dad, Billy and Thea, all of the musicians, and ultimately Bill and Ted themselves and himself, the robot, and they all travel to hell together, where they finally meet up and recruit Death to be the bassist for their ultimate band. Uh, once they have all sort of rejoined, they return to Earth, alive on the surface, and in the middle of a traffic jam, they throw together and compose the song that is going to save history. At that same time, Bill and Ted and the two princesses travel through every point in reality at the same time at once, and become infinite versions of themselves, handing out instruments to everyone around the world throughout time so that they could play the song along with everybody else and that ultimately was the key to saving the universe not necessarily the song but uniting everybody across time to play it together the movie ends on a very hard out the end they accomplished their mission goodbye yeah but then in a in a very cool sort of uh <laughs> stinger we see extremely old bill and ted right before they're about to pass away in a retirement home get up and jam for one last time Yes, sir. And I made sure I was like, cause I was, I, I was like, I wasn't sure if there was gonna be a post-credit scene, but I feel like today most movies have some kind of something or other, right? And like, mm-hmm. I was, I was just fast-forwarding through the credits, and I was like, oh, Mike. And you're like, I know. I, was like, I, I thought, I thought for a second that I might have, might have caught one that you didn't catch, but I, I figure you, you, you usually watch things all the way through. So I was glad that you caught this one because it is a good one. It's not, a, it's not a needed one, but it's a fun one to say. Yeah. And I had heard about the credits. Like there was a call on Twitter for everyone to send in themselves playing air guitar. Oh yes, and, yes, yes. Yeah. No one was quite sure what that was for, but I watched that through the credits what they used. So I was, I was like, I'm just going to stick around and see what happens. Plus, I'm sure we're going to get into it. They did not want to waste that makeup, so they made the most of it. And I saw in the credits, I saw Weird Al. Did I miss anybody else of note or no? I didn't even catch Weird Al. No, I don't know. <laughs> I was wiping the tears from my eyes, to be quite oh, honest. Oh, yeah, I cried at the end, too. We'll talk about that. There's a sequence in the a series of these send-in videos in the credits where people are playing accordions, and I'm pretty sure there's a dude with long, curly hair who looks like Weird Al playing an accordion. Like, if it's not him, it's like a Weird Al impersonator. But I was also thinking about how appropriate that is for a comedy bang-bang perspective to have Weird Al in the credits of a movie where Kid Cudi, Cud Life himself, is also there. So, like, we got two of Scott's 
bandmates from the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, band leaders, in one movie, kind of. Or maybe just one and maybe a Weird Al lookalike. I don't know. Shout out Comedy Bang Bang. So Weird Al took to Twitter and said, yes, that is indeed him. He has confirmed that uh, he has a split second appearance in the movie. But you're right. I only knew Cuddy from Hot Saucerman, and uh, I thought he was great in this as well. But you're right. I didn't catch that second Bang Bang connection. I will say from right off the bat here, I'm glad that I rewatched last night into this morning the first two movies because I feel like I don't think you need to, and I think that's an important thing. I think that this movie can stand on its own. I think it's better if you've seen the original ones, but I think they do enough here with enough fresh faces and new ideas and whatever that I think it'd still be a satisfying, fun movie. I think anytime you make a, a sequel 30 years later, right? Like in in terms of your podcast, are there any? And I don't want to steal too much thunder from your episode, but are there any? franchises that you've covered with like almost 30 years between the second and the third one the star wars franchise okay that's the only one that came to mind and that kind of came up on the on the episode as well or will come up on the episode as well touched upon that and basically how that shouldn't i i come to the realization that setting that 20 years later was not helpful that movie could have been set five years after the return of the jedi but i feel like in this case with bill and ted it really helped marinate the characters in a certain way this still could have come out like 10 years ago and been as relevant i feel but like there's something about it coming out today that really strikes a chord pun intended hey yeah you know and i also feel like you're right you don't necessarily need to see the first two because this does an interesting thing that a lot of part three sort of fumble at which is uh it's kind of a soft reboot in a lot of ways and force awakens also kind of didn't stick this landing either where this movie is kind of the best parts of maybe the first two movies or doing things they wish they might have been able to do in those first two movies and have all that sort of come to fruition the way they want. And I will say, in continuing to talk about those first two movies, that in re-watching these, I realized that I liked the first one better than the second one. I was explaining this today on the Too Fast, Too Forever episode with Joe that'll come out on Tuesday. I don't know when this comes out, sometime around then. But I was like, when we watched it the first time, or when I saw them for the first time, we watched it for Keanu Club, you, me, and Kara, I think we're all like, we kind of like Bogus Journey more. Is that Mm -hmm. weird? Mm -hmm. And we were all like, oh no, we all like this more. And I feel watching them again today, I like the first one more. Like, I like that one a little bit more than I did. I like Bogus Journey a little bit less. And I would say I put this one one kind of in the middle of the two like the first one is i don't know like i'm kind of all my my brain is all over the place in terms of what i want to talk about but i think that the first one it has something special the second one feels like it it doesn't need to exist but i'm glad that it did because it's silly and it's weird i think that this one takes a while to get going but once it gets going one nice thing one really nice thing that it does is we kind of have three different sets of the time travelers like you talked about in your plot summary and while i would have loved to have seen more of aaron hayes and jayma mays because i love both of them like aaron hayes is one of my favorite comedians. Like, I just love her so much. I would have liked to see more of them, but I think having Bill and Ted doing their thing and then Thea and Billy doing their thing and, like, seeing them have almost equal screen time was wonderful. And I think that there's so much focus in the first two movies paid to Bill and Ted to have it split here, like you're saying, you know, passing the torch. I think it worked really well. And I think there's something pure about the first one, but I think that what you're saying about building on and kind of franchising it or whatever, I think it worked really well. You could go in a lot of directions here. And I think what they wound up doing worked really well. And I think the daughters were great. Yeah, I almost feel like Bogus Journey came out too soon to tackle the issues of where what Bill and Ted 
what they wanted those characters to be going through at that point in time. But like this one is prime for those types of problems and things. Uh, maybe in the second one, you have the joke of them having to face themselves and fight their evil versions of themselves. But in this one, they are literally staring down the barrel of their future selves and stuff and have to confront who they actually are and all that. So I think like thematically, things work a lot better in this. This movie's definitely got a lot more polish to it of the, you know, modern style of filmmaking. But I, I, I agree. I, I still love that second one, but in po- upon rewatching them, the first one is just sort of made on its own to the point where like it didn't really need any sequels or anything like right. that. And I'm glad that we got one. But this is, yeah, I like this more than Bogus Journey. It just feels more of like a completion or like uh, we finally just got to do everything that we could have thought of to do with these people at this time. And I was not expecting the daughters to be in this as much as they are. And that was a great surprise. Like I almost thought that that was just going to be sort of like a one-off joke like marrying Missy or something like that or you know I, and I was really glad that they went on their own adventure I wish we could have seen the princesses go on their adventure I think that would have been a hilarious yeah. spin-off or something uh, if they made that entire movie but yeah I mean I was so just shockingly pleased with how well um, this was all sort of going um, I agree I think like it starts off like the first act the exposition is very grounded you know like it's it's funny but like they're sort of batting away all the jokes because Bill and Ted have to take things seriously uh, but once they sort of go on their adventure things just you can't predict like it's so unpredictable and that to me is like one of the major reasons I had so much fun and I do want to say like the casting of my girl my beloved Samara Weaving as the daughter who is great as Thea she plays Bill's daughter Thea named after Theodore I also like that she was Thea Theodora Preston and we have Billy I don't remember what I don't remember her full name uh, but, like, Wilhelmina just... just because I'm looking at it yes so Samara Weaving is great as Thea, and we have Bridget Lundy Payne, who I haven't seen in a ton. Like, actually, no, I take that back. I was not familiar with her, but she's been in like everything. Like, so she's one of the leads on the Netflix series Atypical. But she was in Bombshell, which we covered for Charlize. She was in Action Point. She was in Downsizing. She's in Glass Castle. What? Like, she's in everything. I've seen like most of those movies too. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, she played Julia Clark in, and I don't remember who that was, but she's like tenth build or so in Bombshell. So she's like one of the prominent ish ladies in that movie and I think they're just both so good and like one of my favorite things in both Bogus Journey and this was when other people are basically acting as Bill and Ted like in Bogus Journey when when the dad and the other cop get like earwormed like the ghosts of Bill and Ted go into their bodies like I loved that Uh, and then here to have the daughters basically playing like to have these actresses who probably grew up to a certain degree watching Bill and Ted or loving it or whatever I don't know their history with it but to see them basically acting like Keanu and Alex Winter it's just wonderful and I really liked the and appreciated that they went with that joke too the you know because I've been just kind of seeing I mean I know this movie just came out but like um, I think some of the reviews could be like oh they're too much like Bill and Ted which they are but I also feel like they're like the princesses as well like a lot of that is sort of their common sense and and things like that I think they're a little smarter just you know overall they might have a better memory or something but yeah I I love what they're doing it doesn't feel like 
an impression so much. Okay, well, maybe Thea sometimes feels a little bit like an impression, but I would totally just watch them next time if Bill and Ted wanted to sit that out. It would still be Bill and Ted because they are Bill and Ted, you know? Yeah, they come in, they fill those shoes perfectly. They never really make it about gender, which was smart, right? Like, there's nothing calling them out about that. Like, you can't do it because, you know, you're a girl. Like, I'm so glad we're past all that kind of stuff. And it's just a great fun time. They're on such a great adventure and they're so, the people they choose is really clever and they're set up to be so smart and capable that I really enjoyed that twist about them. Yeah, no, they're really good. I mean, they kind of, they appear to be the kind of burnout and I think it's important to note that Keanu in this past week has said that they are not stoners, that they're just kind of lovable goofballs, so I don't want to call them stoners. They're they're just kind of burnouts. They just love music. They're just kind of goofy goofy girls right but they are able to like they have the wherewithal and the ability like when they go to recruit Jimi Hendrix and he says no like okay we got to go back and get someone he does know and he does respect so let's go get Louis Armstrong and like what I love about the franchise too is how cool everyone is with the idea of time travel they film Jimi Hendrix on their iPhone and then they give the iPhone to Louis Armstrong and he's like he's in awe of Jimi Hendrix but also in awe of the iPhone they say hey guys come on over here check this out like they don't really care which is important because by the end of this movie and throughout the movie Movie, things are popping in everywhere like you were saying and like you know George Washington is getting replaced with Babe Ruth and Jesus is walking on water and like Kid Cudi is now in the Last Supper and like it's all crazy stuff's happening and if everybody were freaking out it wouldn't be fun but the fact that everybody's just like I guess this is what life is now it's just that it works in a wonderful way and so them having the wherewithal to like go back in time and get Louis Armstrong then bring him to Jimi Hendrix and then go get Mozart then get Ling Loon then get Grom and then get Kid Cudi it all works in a way that's like diverse and multicultural and representative and smart and cool and fun and just it just works really well yeah i totally agree i think it was a really good choice on who they chose to be part of the band and uh with everybody i was sort of happily surprised with who they were going with and everything and i I love when uh mozart and hendrix meet uh, because like hendrix i didn't even realize it dressed like mozart I thought that was pretty hilarious, like the commonality and the common ground they shared. But as far as like people freaking out, the only one who does is Jillian Bell, right? Their therapist. (laughs) Yeah, in their couples therapy, which is, to their credit, kind of misnamed. Like it's not couples therapy, it's couple therapy. So I get where Bill and Ted come from, that it's they would think it's two couples. Of course they do. Yeah, that was adorable. I like how that became sort of a, not a reoccurring thing, but it came back once, like, uh, during their time travel. It became part of the loop, I guess, you know, or one of the things they had to revisit. I really love, so, like, I just adore, like, we kind of talked about how Bill and Ted don't really need to carry this movie. And in the last movie, they're in every scene. And even when they're not in every scene, they're the evil robot thems and in, in the scenes and stuff. But I just love how when they're on their own, they're acting against themselves so much of this movie in so many different varieties of themselves. Like the versions of Alex and Keanu are just incredible in this movie. Well, I will I will say, I don't want to make this sound negative, but I think that the way that Keanu has grown and evolved and matured, he does not look like Ted anymore. That, like, I was having a hard time getting into him. Like, Alex, for the most part, kind of looks like, and, like, I don't know that one is better than the other, right? But, like, I think that Alex kind of still looks like Bill. Like, he just kind of has the same, like, face or whatever. Like, or maybe it's just because we've seen every one of Keanu's movies since then, right? We've seen him grow. And especially now, as, like, lately he's been playing kind of, like, not always, but, like, some sort of darker, grittier, more 
like bearded hard version. Boiled. Exactly. <laughs> so to see him clean shaven and to see him just kind of like trying to channel his like 1989 self, I'm like, oh, I'm not really buying this. So then to see him at the open mic with the goatee and drinking Jack Daniels or at what we later find out as Dave Grohl's house, like with a huge beer gut or then jacked at prison or like at the nursing home, like him in makeup, I was able to like, oh no, like I, I'm fully on board now. But like just seeing him as kind of like clean cut Ted, I was like, oh, this looks a little weird. And again, maybe just because of our closeness to Keanu, I don't know. But I was having a hard time. And I wonder if you had the same kind of, or you were just like, oh, no, that's just, that's Ted. Well, originally I did. Yes. Like in the trailers, it was throwing me a little bit. I think his wardrobe was, th- I was like, why is he sort of dressed better than Bill? Like he's in a suit almost. Like things were, he looked, okay. So like, I also heard someone say he looks like Professor Snape now. Like he looks like Alan Rickman in the Harry Potter movies too much. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know if they could have maybe just given him a little stubble or worn something different to make him look a little more sort of eclectic the way Ted was used to dress. You know what I'm saying? Like Bill still sort of dresses like a teenager. And I think the problem was Ted, who we've come to find out is sort of the one more willing to take that step into adulthood. Maybe it was his wardrobe a little bit that was throwing me off along the way. Yeah, there was just, there was something that wasn't, that wasn't working for me. I don't know what it was, but like, again, what you brought up, them in all the different versions of themselves, I think it worked really well. Yeah, and for me, that helped me sell Keanu as Ted again, the way that he would react. Like, it kind of, the character just came through again somehow yep. broke through everything and was like no like okay uh like i think by the time they meet themselves the first time i'm like okay i buy him again like i'm totally fine with him instead maybe it's the imbalance maybe it's the fact that like he and bill are not the same in their current versions but like in each future version that they are they're they're equally either grimy or bald and fat or jacked or old like it's just whatever they are they're more equal but it seems like almost like in a weird way they're not on equal footing and maybe that's the issue yeah, that's quite possibly something, and that's something kind of new. And next time I go through and we rewatch it for the third time, like I'll definitely kind of focus a little more on that and see if that is kind of coming through a bit more than just what they're wearing or something like that. But Ted tells the story about going to sell the Les Paul, you know, like he's ready to get serious, and I think Bill is still sort of not. Let's talk about Rufus, and we have virtual Rufus. I think they were going to do a CGI Rufus that they they scrapped, which I'm glad they did. They have a virtual Rufus, some footage from a previous movie, which I think is nice. They have Kristen Shaw as Rufus's daughter named Kelly. Kelly Carlin is George Carlin's daughter's name, so it's a nice little nod to him there, which I think is a nice touch. But what I loved is that when she shows up in that kind of like egg time travel machine, Samara Weaving was like, dude, it's the future. It just went like, oh God, I just love her and I love that. It's just so sweet and silly, but I love Kristen Shaw as kind of like the goofy, because again, it's the, it's the history, I guess, of casting comedians in that like role work, George Carlin or Kristen Shaw, where it's, you have to be serious, but you're also like embodying the most ridiculous notion possible. Yeah, and you know, I thought of you a couple times watching this movie because we have her, we have like Aaron Hayes, we have Beck Bennett from SNL, you know, what I'm getting at is like, you know, Jillian Bell, there's a lot of comics in this movie and I know that's not always a good recipe and I just want to say like the writers here and the directors and everyone involved did a really great job of not making this feel like your typical 21st century screaming madcap 
what is going on yeah. uh, just just craziness com- comedy like this isn't one of those you can tell this isn't a very heavily improv movie on the set which I adore it's tight and t- it might be a little too tight but it's never loose you never lose track of everything for everything going on like it's amazing how well I keep track of everything I was just like so relieved that they were able to sort of make it feel more like a Men in Black like 90s type movie which Ed yeah. Solomon is credited to than something like a Will Ferrell scream along kind of thing i don't know that i would say it's too tight i think that you were we both agree but like they, they it almost unfolds literally in real time right like they have 77 minutes to write the song that's going to save the universe and save time and whatever and like at that point there's like 79 minutes left in the movie and like each time that they check it's basically like the exact amount of time that has passed has passed right so it's just like oh we're keeping it real time and we're going to get to the end of the movie when they get to the end of the movie in that regard i can see it's kind of like oh this is a little too structured but also at the same time it's nice that they're on a time because there feels like there's stakes right because like in a time travel movie it almost makes it feel like well we can just figure it out whenever right like but that's why in the first one there's the same time right like it's like we need to, like the time in san dimas keeps going so you need to give your book report at two o'clock or 245 or whatever on this day like tomorrow but like you can go wherever and spend whatever time but like the time's gonna keep going and i think to that end i think a lot of time travel movies that aren't bill and ted can be like oh well we just have unlimited time because we can keep going we can wind up where we need to wind up but like if all of time ends or whatever right or like they miss their book report it doesn't matter where they were because they're going to fail and so i think having a deadline even if it feels a little bit too rigid or structured is good for this because like it, it grounds what could otherwise be kind of silly yeah, and you're certainly right about the stakes because even dying in this universe isn't the end of you, right? Like we no, go, we, no, and like you can, they've died twice now, right? So right, right, yeah. So bringing back San Dimas time was like a really great ticking clock because that's exactly what it was, and you know, and that's great. I didn't realize how well it synced up with the actual time of the movie and that's even smarter and that even goes even more into a testament of just like how much this is just a good time travel movie like i'd watch a serious version of this without all of the jokes about some guy going to the future to see how he turned out all of that stuff really hit me in my core that almost feels like a matheson kind of thing more than a solomon thing just knowing about his father's sort of uh, tutelage and all that yeah. kind of stuff about that. Uh, he's, he wrote a lot of like Twilight Zones and that felt very Twilight Zone to me and I just really appreciated that they played with the genre as much as they did, quite frankly, because we didn't get a lot of that in the last one. No, I agree. I think Bogus Journey, in retrospect, is like a kind of a weird movie in a lot of ways. Like, even weirder than I thought, I think we gave it credit for when we talked about it. And I think that might be one of the reasons it took so long to get another one made. Keanu was okay, uh, but, like, you could, I definitely feel like it's more of that Alex Winter sensibility, like, from Freaked and all of that sort of uh, stuff. Just, like, all the heavy makeup play, just the bizarro ideas going around, like a robot going to hell or, like, even being able to die and stuff. Well, so do you know who that robot is? Do you did you recognize the robot? Uh, I did not realize who it was until after the movie when I remembered he was in the movie. But yeah, we got to talk a little bit more about Dennis because he he's like death 2.0. He just stole the show for me this time. It's very clear from early on that the robot, like there's something a little bit off with the robot. And I forgot that this guy was in the movie, but like once the robot started acting more human-like than robot-like, I was like, oh, I know exactly who this is. So he's played by Anthony Carrigan, who steals every scene he's in in Barry because he plays no ho hank and this is a guy that like 
I feel like everybody needs to know him because he is one of the funniest people acting today. He brings life to a robot in a way that, like, I mean, he's not really a robot. Like, he's basically just, like, a guy, like, in white. Like, they don't really make him, like, robotic, right? No, they just call him a robot. He's more like a cyborg. But he's a robot named Dennis Caleb McCoy, and, like, he can die, and he gets, like, melancholy, and he gets suicidal. Like, it's everything that a robot should be. He's not. As soon as he starts acting goofy, I was like, oh, I know who this is, and he, he was so good. I love how he goes from this crazy Terminator to a super insecure human for the moment, basically. Again, like, I don't know if he is part cyborg or whatever. I mean, Christian Shaw mentions that he's named after her ex. Did they take her ex-boyfriend and turn him into this monstrosity? Like, so many questions. But yeah, once he realized, once he gets to hell and sort of, you know, tries to get more in touch with himself, he is just incredible. His line readings are just so unique. The idea of this character was so incredibly new to me. We keep saying, I mean, and even the writers make a cameo as the two demons in hell going like a robot in hell how does that happen (laughs) all that stuff's great and the idea of uh, bill and ted having someone sort of beneath them in a way right like that's kind of nice too like that was i think what worked well with death in the last one was like okay there's now there's sort of like this hierarchy in the band and it's good that bill and ted aren't always we're not just seeing them getting sort of like shit on by life but now like at least there's a pecking order and they're you know they're above this robot yeah, I think that's important because they are so looked down upon by so many people. But then eventually when they get to hell in the end, and like their dad is there, he's like, oh, I believe you now. And like, so like they're kind of, I don't know if they're <laughs> above the dad or they're above Ted's, I guess Ted's dad, but like. Bill's not, right? He's like, I wasn't talking to you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it just, it's nice. If they weren't who they were, I think they might have some credibility. But the fact that they are who they are, why would anybody believe anything they say, right? So like, yeah, of course you went to heaven and to hell and like you went through time travel and like your girlfriends are princesses from the fort. Like, of course they are. Sure, whatever. Idiot, like, get a job, right? But, like, they're finally vindicated, right? That the robot knows that he was on the mission. Like, he was a little unsure. He finds out that he was on the wrong mission. And the dad knows that Ted wasn't lying. And, like, they're kind of, they get their comeuppance sort of in the end. And, like, it's, or, or they're, you know, at least Bill and Ted get vindicated, right? They're like, oh, no, like, we haven't just been idiot burnouts or just, like, slackers or whatever. We've been telling the truth. We're just, you know, the most unreliable narrators that you could ever possibly imagine. <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, you could just take it as the band's back story right like kiss like all those guys have different like one's the star child right like he's from outer space and like one's part animal like gene simmons is like half demon you know so it's like part of rock culture to be like yeah we're a time traveling band that's been to hell and back like you know we're about to rock with our guar like mutant martians on our side and some guy painted himself as the grim reaper but yes you're i mean it's so great that once they're sort of vindicated that that's the end of it, you know? It's, like, never brought up again. Uh, like, the dad almost becomes part of the band. He's very encouraging from that point on. Maybe he just wants to get out of hell. You know, I think a lot of this movie is about healing and things like that because in the next scene they're going to sort of have that same moment in a way with death uh we find out that that the band and death have had like a very hard falling out and being in a band i'm sure is very much like being in a marriage at to some degree so it's interesting how they're sort of playing with relationship themes throughout this entire movie yeah and like it's kind of and i don't want to say like the pressure on the kids to like keep things together but the daughters are what reunite death with bill and ted like they're like oh no we love that what's his album name like paler than white or too pale or yeah he had some great names and and the name of their song at Deacon's wedding was incredible too. It was like you know a minute long to pronounce, but also at their wedding, I was getting some real 
Destination Wedding vibes, where it just Keanu kind of looks like he's from that movie, like he just stepped over oh. from like like Winona off screen, just off screen somewhere. I see that. Um, I also love that Kid Cudi at the end says "Station," like we got a we got an obligatory station. Yeah, that was cool. So let's talk about the ending where oh boy, like I st- I might I might cry just thinking about it again. Like it's just so happy, like it's so perfect that you know they finally they keep going forward and forward and forward in time, as you said, to like find a future version of themselves that have written the song that saves the world, and they finally go to them on their deathbeds, and they get the USB, the flash drive. It says Preston Logan recorded at this time on this date at this location, and they wind up as the middle of the highway, and they realize in that moment that it's not them, that it's the daughters, and I was like, oh my, like I'm getting, like, I was just like, oh, this is so perfect, and then they get everything together, and they're like the orchestrators, and they just have everybody that they have gathered, and then them saying to the daughters, we're your band, I was like, oh god, this is so wonderful, and then like I'm just like crying happy tears as everything comes together perfectly, and they literally save the world. I didn't think a Bill and Ted movie was gonna make me cry, but like here we are, and it just yep. it's delightful, and I just love the daughters so much, and they save the day, they save the world, and it's just a happy ending for like everyone in this movie for the most part deserves a happy ending. Like there's no ill will or malintent here anywhere, right? Like even like right. as marriages are falling apart, they're like we don't want to split up, like we want to be with you, like we want to figure this out. And just it was so nice to have all these characters get a happy ending that they kind of deserved. Yeah, I really enjoyed how it became not so much for Bill and Ted to write the perfect song to save the world, but to save their marriage at one point. It's like when they find out they're going to lose the princesses, it's like that is almost a bigger, better motivator for them to get this accomplished than to save all time and space. But yeah, basically the moment all the music starts kicking in and they get into the phone booth and Cuddy explains like they're going to have to split into infinite versions of themselves and hand out instruments to everyone across time and space, like the way this is executed is so well done. I feel like this would have been rushed in the hands of other creators and directors or writers. Like, I just, I'm so glad that they took the time to construct this sequence the way that they did. When they start all playing at once and it's horrible, and then Billy and Thea are sort of conducting, improvising yep. on the spot. Like you said about the dads realizing, like, we're your band. Like, we'll be here. We'll back you up forever. Like, I mean, damn, the relationship feels were definitely coming through with that kind of stuff. And I loved seeing them with the princesses in the phone booth at the end, traveling together finally and, you know, splitting into infinite versions of themselves. Just, I, I, the song was really getting to me. Yep. Like, it, <laughs> like, it's great. And like they said, it wasn't even really about the song because, you know, it's not like the most amazing song but it was just the, the concept that everybody throughout time was playing it at the same time it was like a really really great sentiment yeah I think maybe my favorite line of the entire movie is Keanu just saying in case you're wondering I'm essentially an infinite me catch you later it's just like yeah like that's the only <laughs> the simplest way that you know somebody like Ted can explain like yeah they're just infinite me's right now I'm just giving out infinite instruments to infinite people in infinite time like yeah we're just doing it all together man oh man just wonderful talking about the princesses in the phone booth with them what I also loved what I really really loved is because you see early in the movie the princesses show up in a phone booth you're like and I'm, I'm kind of thinking like sort of thinking like where'd they get that from and I'm like oh probably it's fine like they have their own but then you realize that it's when they go to the nursing home at the end that the princesses steal that one so like when they're side by side it's actually the same phone booth in oh, the same reality at the same time. That's cool. I didn't pick up on that. So yeah, because they, <laughs> they go to the nursing home and then they have the song. They go outside. They're like, where's the phone booth? And that's when the robot, or that's when I think, I don't remember if it's the robot who gets them there. Dennis shows up and that's when they all die and then yeah. they reappear immediately. Yeah. And so the princesses take their phone booth and then go back to present day to pick up the modern day princesses and bring them through time. And so like, as they show up in certain places, it's the same phone booth. There's only one magical phone booth, but sometimes they're in the same place at the same time because they're both there. 
there. Like they keep they run into each other like at the prison, right? Like they're both there. Right. But it's the same phone booth. It's just like That's cool. The phone booth at different times, I guess. But it's the same time. Yeah. So I don't know how that works, but like Amazing. But I mean, yeah, it's just so great too how I mean there's even a line in this movie that I really adored. There's a couple, but like Kristen Shaw's kind of like until this time anything is possible. And I was like, oh, okay, that's all I needed to hear because in a world of Bill and Ted, like anything really is possible. And then I think it's on Rufus's watch. It says like sometimes it doesn't make sense until the end of the story yep. or something to yep. that effect. And and Bill and Ted sort of repeat that line a while. And so that got me excited because I was like, okay, I should just relax and whatever happens is all going to be untangled by the end. Yeah, yeah, man. I just I just really like this movie. In the end, I mean, I think we probably did a Keanu ranked episode, maybe. I, we almost certainly did. And like, I wouldn't put Ted or like, I wouldn't put Ted as a character or these movies as movies that high up. I think they're like in my top 10 or 15, at least the first, maybe all three of them are probably like in the top 15 or 20 of Keanu movies. And I like Ted, but like, I like his action stuff more, right? Like I like his Neo, I like his John Wick, I like all that stuff more. And then for it to just hit me in a way, and maybe it's because there hasn't been a lot of new movies this year, or just like the right time or whatever, but I do think that like the summation of how they bring it all together, I think they did a, I don't say they did a better job than I would have thought they could have, but like, I think, I don't know that you could make this movie better. I think this is as nice of a send-off as you could possibly imagine for these characters. Yeah, I think that comes from having the same creative team for 30 years behind it. You know, I know that just from behind the scenes stuff, like the writers and the actors have stayed friends for a long time. And Alex and Keanu had a lot of input on what the direction of this film should be and where it should go and the type of representation it should have. And and it's amazing too how political it is without even trying. It just came out at the right time or the wrong time, depending on how you look at things. But all of that lands really well as two. It doesn't feel like pandering because you know that it's just coincidence that this came out when it did, that kind of stuff. It just makes you feel so good by the end of it that uh, I really appreciated this movie the way it is for sure like, yeah it is it is a fucking weird movie dude like <laughs> it is bizarre as shit marvel movies are great there's lots of great action john wick movies are great with great action but like story wise and plot wise like there aren't twists and turns like this even in like judd apatow comedies they're so grounded this had the balls to do the makeup to go crazy to just take chances and swing hard there's a couple of bits of trivia that you might have said on your show i don't know but samara weaving won the role of thea because keanu found out that she was the niece of hugo weaving agent smith from the matrix and so i'm sure i mean she's successful and talented enough and probably could have earned the role on her own already or like was near the top of the list or whatever she's been in so many movies that i love that you know brian and i just covered the babysitter on his podcast and we're going to cover the babysitter too later this month when it comes out in september but to see, you know, it could be like, oh, like, I, you know, I worked with him on three movies, on the three Matrix movies, and then to have his niece in this movie, in a movie about family, too. Like, I think it's an extra special kind of wrinkle. Yeah, I don't think that if she wasn't already an actress, they'd have hired her just for being, no, 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 know, no, niece weaving or anything like that. But I think that's what's been sort of like, people have been saying, oh, she's only in it because of nepotism. But like, to be quite honest, this is, this is not the Samara weaving I know from any other movie. Like, she looks so much younger. She acts incredibly goofy and different than a lot of her. I mean, she has a lot of those goofy looks that she sort of like pulls off in the babysitter and, and stuff too, I guess. Like, but you know what I'm coming from? Generally, she's a genre actress. Like, she usually does like horror and like weird kind of sci-fi 
try and just like, uh, like not aggressive in aggressive ways, but like she plays things where like shit goes wrong, like Ready or Not or The Babysitter or Guns Akimbo or Mayhem, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Like there's all these things that she's great in. Like she doesn't usually get to be goofy. Like I guess to your point, like the first 20 minutes of The Babysitter, kind of, but even that's not a full thing. Like here she's showing range that like I figured she had because again, you know my thing that like I'm never surprised when an actor can do something. Like usually I say that about like singing or dancing or an instrument or whatever, but I'm also never surprised when like an actress or an actor can like do a different genre, right? Because it's like, yeah, she's great. Like, why wouldn't she be able to be like goofy, especially if, you know, she grew up with these movies or saw these movies a lot or whatever. And maybe, you know, we've all said lots of Bill and Ted quotes on this podcast before. And if you're talented, why, why couldn't you do it? Right. So I love that she's in this. It's awesome. I wish, just wish Hugo Weaving was here somewhere now. <laughs> That's death. We didn't really talk much about death this time around, but death comes back perfectly. Like, just spouting all of the recycled catchphrases over the last 20 years. Although I, Hugo Weaving, I don't think, would play death because he gave up, like, Red Skull because I think he has a daughter or somebody. There's somebody in his life that, like, yeah, he doesn't want to be evil characters anymore because he, has, he wants to, like, be in roles that I think it's his daughter could, like, aspire to see him in, right? So, like, Red Skull is basically, like, literally the face of evil in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? So, a nice little connection otherwise is that there was a song, I think Weezer put out a song on the soundtrack and, like, a music video in the past week called Beginning of the End, Wild Stallions Edit, and Weezer's first gig was on a Dogstar concert. So, Dogstar no headlined the show, and I think they, like, closed it or something? IMDb says closed it. I don't know if it's, you know, opened or whatever. Maybe, like, they just played after Dogstar, but their first gig was alongside Dogstar. So, there's a nice little key Keanu full circle there for Weezer, which I think is really nice. Do you think that any of the death bass was Keanu, knowing that he plays bass in Dogstar? Oh, Star, that would be cool. I thought maybe it could have been like Les Claypool or something, like the way they got Steve Vai back in the past. Like, let's just get like a prolific bassist. But like, I was like, maybe Keanu's doing some of those licks. He's a bass player. I would have liked to see if they could have incorporated or reincorporated Dave Grohl somehow. But, you know, I get that he, you know, whatever. That was uh, that was like maybe the one joke. Not that I did it. I love I thought that was hilarious because they're just like, Dave Grohl. He's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> but like, as far as maybe something that's going to sort of ground this in when it was made, he's like the only like reference normally a comedy from this era would be loaded with jokes like that, where there's just be walk-on after walk-on and stuff like that. But I like how it's Dave Grohl because he's like a historical rock figure at this yeah, point. because he's been around for 30 years. Like, because they're like, one song built this? Like, the one song did this whole house? It's like, well, no, not really. I mean, it's like a combination of like Nirvana and the Foo Fighters and his work with Tenacious D and his work with Queens of the Stone Age and his work as a producer. And like, it's like, no, he's actually, you know, it's, it's, I guess that's kind of like a weird deep level meta joke. It's like, no, he's actually had like 30 or more years of huge financial and critical and commercial success, right? That's what builds a house like this. Whether that's his house or not, I don't know. Yeah, because even Kid Cudi, who I really, you know, I like, I love Cudi from Bang Bang, but like, I really don't know a lot of his music. Like, I'm just kind of starting to get into a lot of that stuff. He could have been mistaken as a fictional character in this movie, right? Like, they could have created Kid Cudi out of nowhere. Like, people could be watching this movie not even realizing that he's a real guy out there somewhere. Um, like, I just think it's interesting how well the two modern cameos in this movie are played so differently with. I think that's a real interesting thing going on. Yeah, I think that's all my notes. I want to see if there's anything else I wanted to say. I guess their song is called Face the Music. Okay, and their other hit was Those Who Rock, or 
what was it? I don't know. Okay, they had that one hit they said in the intro uh, where they're talking about how, oh yeah, they were successful and then they kept chasing the music and sort of got worse and worse. And Oh, I do want to say, I I, thought, I didn't look him up, but yeah, Deacon, the younger, Ted's younger brother is played by Beck Bennett from SNL. He's also from those like AT&T some remember the rollover minutes where he was talking to all the little kids around the table yeah that's back then like i thought he looked familiar i don't think it's because like the dad is the same dad death is also still william sadler like bill and ted are back missy's still missy so like that was that was cool so like ted's dad and missy are the same actors as well they're the only two that have gone all three movies with and i like that missy has a third husband in a third movie right and now ted's dad is now his own son that joke was amazing <laughs> like that is one of the greatest speeches before they perform their song at the beginning and he's like first he was married to, to my dad then he was married to your dad now he's married to deacon and you're your own brother and i think that's also it's, it's a smart way to do it and i think that's maybe why the beginning feels slow especially given that i i had just watched the last two the first two in like the previous like 12 hours and you had watched in the last week like i think part of it's slow is because it's catching other people up and so to do it in a wedding speech as opposed to like a voiceover is a smart way to like blend it in right so yeah i didn't think of that the one last thing i wanted to bring up again i just want to go back to the makeup specifically with keanu because i feel like he's doing stuff here he never gets a chance to do not since like or He's the dog boy. Also an Alex Winter joint. True. I feel like he is having so much more fun and giving so much more energy and reaching and playing and just doing so much stuff I haven't seen him do in a long time or maybe even never seen him do before. Like, we get fat Keanu, Joey. Yeah. Finally. You know, and the British accent and the them in prison. Like, every incarnation is so uniquely different that, I mean... I never really questioned Alex Winter for some reason. I just always, like, after seeing Freaked, I'm like, that's his thing, is, like, he loves makeup and doing that kind of creature stuff. But for Keanu to come through this hard, I was very impressed with his performance. Especially as Keanu recently has kind of been leaning into just being Keanu, right? Like, in Always Be My Maybe and stuff, and Destination Wedding is kind of, for better or worse, kind of feels like just him and Winona, like, hey, we've been in a bunch of movies together, like, let's do another one and just kind of talk to each other, right? Like, it's an exaggeration of himself, but it feels like it is grounded. I mean, I do love it but it does feel kind of grounded in this to be so goofy and weird and throwback or new it's great like old keanu bro like people talk about how the guy never ages right and in this movie we get to see him as like a hundred year old man yeah <laughs> it's insane although i will say you know as as much as people do and i do agree that he doesn't age watching excellent adventure and this movie in the span of 13 hours is like oh no he he's he still looks great he looks better now than i will ever look but like it he you know he's not a what is he 25 years old or whatever in, in 1989, so... He's not a vampire, or a reverse vampire that can go out during the day or whatever. Nope. Any other thoughts about Bill and Ted Face the Music? I just, I loved it. Like, uh, I was so happy with it. I was so pleased with it. It's so insane. It's, it just, it like, it's inspiring. Like, it just, especially with just some of the, I don't want to sort of trash Hanks too hard, but just in light of some of the things oh, yeah. that we've been watching recently, like, this is such a breath of fresh air. Dennis McCoy, the robot, is probably one of you going to go down as, like, one of the, my favorite characters. Like, he's like a forky. Like, it's just insane. Like, the logic behind him doesn't exist. And... 
I love that he is out there doing his thing, doing his break dancing and everything. So yeah, I just had, I just was so happy. So this episode will probably be out before. So the third is Thursday. So this episode will probably be out before then, I would imagine. Not to put undue pressure on you, the editor, dear dear editor. So this past Monday, Brian put out his episode of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? And then this comes out, and then on Thursday, your episode will come out. So in the span of four days, we'll have three Bill and Ted episodes plus our three Excellent Adventure, Bogus Journey, and Excellent Adventures, the animated series, which I would not watch. Like I was thinking about like all the different Bill and Ted canon. I was like, probably not. I heard those are expensive now on on Amazon, so hold on to your copy. Oh, we got in there at the right time? Yep, certainly did. Well, it's like how for our other on hiatus podcast right now, like I bought all these Elvis movies because like, oh, Mike, they're so cheap. They're like, I got all 20 movies for, I got 20 movies for like $25. And you're like, yeah, they're all like $30 a collection now. I'm like, oh, I bought it at the right time. So sometimes you're right, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, lots of Bill and Ted, lots of new Bill and Ted, lots of catalog Bill and Ted, lots of things to check out. So I'm just glad that this was so good that we're able to talk about it. And I just want to see more. I don't know. Do you think we're going to get more? I know you were sort of, you tweeted about wanting a spinoff with the princesses, but like, do you think we'll right. get more? Or is this, because this feels in a way like a, there's no reason to do anymore. But it's also, I don't know. Yeah, like I'm good where we are. Like, I feel like they did it. They wrote the song. They saved reality. We're good to go. I mean, you could take it anywhere else, really, but I don't really feel like you gotta. I mean, where could you do it either? Like HBO Max? I mean, would you even get Samara Weaving to do uh, a TV show? You know, even if it was... She did one. She did an Amazon series. She did Picnic and Hanging Rock. I think she would. Okay, well then... Maybe then. I mean, think if anything, though, they'd probably try and push for another feature film. But honestly, I'm I'm cool. Like, I would like to see what the, you know, that's the one thing maybe is like, you could never sell that movie. Though, could you like the time traveling adventures of the princesses going and meeting like, yeah, Bill and Ted without Bill and Ted? No. Yeah, right. So I don't know. I mean, I'd watch it. But you know, I don't think that it's necessarily going to happen. You know, honestly, what the best format would be, and I don't think that they would ever do it because I think they're above that ahem station. But I think like a YouTube, like a web series, like minisodes, where it's like four or seven minute, like just like little things where it's like them in the past or them whatever and trying to go all these different realities or whatever, right? Like basically what we see with the daughters, but with the princesses, like that same kind of, oh, they're here for a minute or they're here for a couple minutes or whatever, right? Like I think that could do it. But I also think that, you know, Aaron Hayes and Jamie Mays are both successful and talented working it like they can be a female leads or they can be they can be leads in movies right like they don't need to do yeah yeah I don't know who that's for except for like us right you know what I mean so yeah and it's weird because now I'm circling back I think these are the same options that they came up with basically when they made the first movie right it's like well we make a live action TV show and then the only thing we haven't said was another cartoon right like they could go back and they could make another cartoon about the daughters and they could make it more like the Harley Quinn series which is in which is sort of like R-rated or PG-13 you know or just sort of has more of an edginess to it and they could do something like that on like uh, Amazon or something or yeah. Hulu yeah well for all things Keanu Club I think since we last did this this show I think we've launched a couple new shows on the network so we now have 27 shows at cageclub.me slash shows but for all things Keanu Club you can go to cageclub.me facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram email us I guess mailbag at cageclub.me is probably the best email we'll probably maybe possibly do something this fall for Cyberpunk 2077 the new Keanu Reeves-led video game coming to Xbox and PlayStation. But we were saying that I don't think he has anything on the docket really until John Wick 
4 and Matrix 4 in 2022, so we're going to be on a little bit of a hiatus, but as this episode comes out, we are winding down Hanks for the Memories, so we got those every Friday. We've got Elvis coming back sooner rather than later. I still want to do those in person, but, you know, when we finish Hanks, I might change my mind. I don't know, but we got a lot of things, so go to cageclub.me slash shows, or just follow at cageclubpod somewhere. Keep up with what's going on. We got Too Fast, Too Forever twice a week. We got Third Time's a Charm once a month. Got lots of things going on at cageclub.me. Just follow us and find out what we're up to. Send us an email and say hi. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Nancy. And we'll see you sometime for something, somewhere, somewhen, right here on Keanu Club. In case you're wondering, I'm essentially an infinite me. Catch you later.